put your hands together and welcome Pastor Josh Johnson. What's up, CityGate? How's my CityGate family doing? Good morning. Come on, give me a good good morning. There, there we go. Pastor said second service is a little different than first. I can tell. I'm looking forward to it, man. It's so good to see everybody. Uh, what a true honor it is to be here and get to, to speak the Word of God to the CityGate family. You, for some of you, like he said, I might be a familiar face, but to many of you, you've probably never seen me before. But we are a part of the CityGate eFam. Uh, we jump online and listen as often as we can. Uh, my family's been a part of some of the online impact groups that you guys did. I know Mallory and I was a part of Carmine and Amy's impact group. Shout out to my impact group. Uh, and, and we had a blast with that. And uh, this body of believers is very special. This is my home church. Uh, that's never changed. Um, and I tell you what, uh, God has been able to use pastor in a great way in my life, as I'm sure he has in your lives as well. And, and I hope you know, because I can't be on this platform and not give honor where honor is due. I don't know if you've ever wondered if God loves you or has given you favor, but if you've ever wondered that, I want you to look to your pastors that he's brought to you. You have the best pastors in the world. Can we give it up for about five seconds for Pastor and Michelle? Pastor, I just want to tell you, thank you very much for the way that you love me, the way you love our family, what you mean to me, how you were able to show the love of Christ in the flesh to me uh, as a young man. And I'm telling you, it has made a huge impact. Thank you so much, Michelle, for, for keeping tabs on him too for all these years. But I love you and I honor you. Thank you so much. The way that you love people and, and serve others is truly it's an inspiration. And I also wanna show you guys real quick just a picture of my family, just to show off God's favor a little bit for, for this guy right there. That's my wife, Mallory, right there. Mallory, would you wave to everybody? That's my beautiful wife, Mallory. Uh, that's my little boy, Graham, down there. He's five. And then that's Riley right there, the beautiful redhead. She's three, getting ready to turn four in October. Please pray for me, CityGate. I need prayers. She, she's just as fiery. I say that hair is a warning label is what that is. I, I wish I had a quarter of the energy that she has, but uh, I am so blessed. That, that's my family. And uh, this morning, I want to talk to you uh, about the heart and the relentless pursuit of our Heavenly Father. And I thought that this morning what I could do is I wanted to bring you back to a familiar passage for many of you in Scripture. And I'm hoping that today that we would be able to unlock some of who God is and what His heart is for us. So in Luke chapter 15, that's where I want you to turn. If you've got your Bibles with you, if not, don't worry about it. They're going to put it up on the screen for you. But I'm going to read a, a portion of the text and, and try to just make some observations this morning. And, and I'm really hoping that these observations are, are going to encourage you, that they're going to challenge you, 
And really for some of you, I hope that it even begins to transform your life from the inside out. And, and I want you to know it, it's okay, City Gate. You can help me preach this morning. You're not gonna throw me off. You can give me a good amen. I'm a son of this house. You're not gonna scare me. You can give me a good over exuberant hallelujah that might scare somebody. Feel free to do that. You're not gonna scare me because man, this is God's word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word, within it comes transformation and revelation. Come on, if you can't get excited about God's word, I don't know what you can get excited about. So I'm believing that you're gonna help me this morning. So let's read in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 25. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours that has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now is found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this tremendous honor and privilege, Lord, to be able to bring your word to City Gate and to those that are watching online. And Lord, I just pray right now that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, you would speak through me, that these would be your words and not mine, and it would penetrate the hearts of every single person that's in this building and watching from home online. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So I want, I want to take a few moments today, and uh, if you're taking notes, and I hope you're taking notes, because I think we all know that statistics show 98% of people that take notes in church get into heaven automatically. I know there's some people going, I don't think that's a real stat. It's not a real stat. But I hope you're taking notes because I want to preach today from the simple subject of lost and found. And uh, I remember when I was young, and, and some of you know my mother, uh, Shelly, and she's watching from home. Hi, Mom, how are you doing? But uh, she worked for Continental Airlines for over 19 years. And one of the nice perks that came with that job was that your family could travel with you domestically for free. You literally did not have to pay anything, got to travel a lot with Mom. And I know what I'm about to say is going to be hard to wrap your mind around post 9-11, but at one time, they actually would allow kids in the cockpit with 
the pilot and the captain, the co-pilot, and you could actually visit with them. They would show off the cockpit to you. And so I remember being about six or seven years old. I thought it was just a perk of mom working for them, but they let me in here and I got to meet and talk with the pilots. And I actually had an opportunity uh, the one co-pilot said, come on over here. And he let me put my hands on the wheel. Now I am assuming it was already on autopilot and there's nothing this six-year-old could have done to, to throw the flight somewhere else. And, and so I had this opportunity and it was so amazing. And I just wanted to share that with you to say, I think we can all agree that just because I was able to put my hands on those control that control panel, that control wheel for 60 to 90 seconds did not make me the captain of that plane. You know, it's just like you could jump on Amazon right now. You could buy a stethoscope, put it on, parade around, and you are not a doctor. You could put on a policeman's uniform right now and walk around downtown like you're somebody. And that does not mean that the state of Florida has given you the, the official rights and, and power to be an officer. You can even be in a commercial kitchen. You can have your hat. You can have an apron on. You can even have a $1,500 set of knives. It does not make you a chef. And just the same... You, just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. And I think if we're not careful today in, this, in the American church in 2020, we can create a consumer Christianity. A Christianity in which people will just show up to be served one hour a week, maybe two Sundays a month, and they're the same ones that get upset when the service doesn't go the way that they want it to go. They send pastor an email because the worship team didn't play the song that really ushers them into the spirit. And they never seem to have time in their busy schedule to actually serve others. And the way consumer Christianity comes about is, is when we forget the real message and mission of Jesus, what it was. I think it's good for us to be refreshed and to be reminded of the gospel, that the gospel means good news, and that it is good news that Jesus Christ came to this earth, he took everything that I deserved so that I could get everything he deserved. He didn't come to this earth to institute religion, he came to establish a relationship with each and every one of us. Come on, Citygate. If you're glad that Jesus came for relationship and not religion, can we just give him a hand clap of praise? Yet it was in this pursuit of relationship with all of us that Jesus was criticized the most. Now we know that scripture says in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's very interesting that if you look up the word all in the original Greek, guess what it means? All. It means that every one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. 
Not a single one of us has lived up to the standard of God's perfection. And yet Jesus still came for us. And if you follow the life of Jesus while he was here on earth, he was constantly in places and doing things that the establishment of the time disagreed with. They hated on him all the time. They were confused by his mission. They were confused by the way he lived his life. They seen Jesus going to dinner parties that they would never attend. He went into some shady areas. He, he would spend time around tax collectors and prostitutes. He would lay his hands on lepers and beggars that others were casting away from him, trying to get him so far out of town they'd never see him. Jesus wanted to be in close proximity to him and actually lay hands on him. It didn't make any sense. And because it didn't make sense, the religious people criticized him. They didn't understand his mission. And I think it's easy for us in 2020, having read scripture and know how the story goes, to think, man, what's up with all these religious people? What's up with all these people giving Jesus a hard time? But I think if we were honest with ourselves and, and we could put ourselves 2,000 years ago, there's a good chance that we might have been one of those religious people. We might have been one of those naysayers because the way Jesus lived his life was so countercultural. We too might have missed why he came. I mean, think about some of the things that he did. You know, we gloss over it sometimes. We, oh, we've read that story. Oh, we read that bit of scripture 15, 20 times. We just gloss over it like it's not a big deal. But think about Jesus' very first miracle. And if you're not familiar with it, let me give you kind of a recap. Jesus is at a wedding in Cana with his mom and some of his boys. The wedding reception starts to, I can't say it any different, but it starts to die down because the wine's running out. And not only does this become a problem to the party, this becomes a problem to Jesus and his mother. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus is like, don't worry, turn down for what? <laughs> he blesses this water, turns it into wine because we all know there ain't no party like a Jesus Christ party because a Jesus Christ party don't stop. <laughs> Come on. Don't, don't worry about me. I'm used to teach, teaching teenagers and stuff. The, the real preacher's down there. He'll be back next week. Don't worry about it. <laughs> But I thought about this and I thought, had I been at that wedding with Jesus and I was one of his followers, I might've thought, Jesus, uh, teacher, rabbi, you really think that was your best first miracle? <laughs> like I might've thought it would have looked a little bit different, but the thing that you have to realize is that Jesus was into relationships. And with his first miracle, he was showing that he is both big enough to change the laws of chemistry, but yet also personal enough to change your day. You think about the woman at the well in John 4. It's a story about a woman who's been with five different men. She's with the sixth man currently. He's not even her husband. She's going to this well in the heat of the day because she's so ashamed, doesn't want to run into anybody, and yet Jesus just so happens to be there 
all by himself. Now, there's a lot of religious leaders today that would think, oh my, Jesus, where's your accountability partner, bro? I, I, I don't know if this is a good look. All by yourself with, with one of the wildest women in town. But yet, Jesus was there on purpose with a purpose. Which was to look at this woman and say, woman, if you knew who you were speaking to, you would recognize you're thirsty. And yes, you've been with five men and this is the sixth man and he's not gonna quench the thirst of your soul either. What you need is the seventh man. You need me because if you'll drink of me, the living water, you'll never thirst again. Your soul is thirsty. He was coming for relationship. And one of the most provocative things about the ministry and mission of Jesus is that he was never afraid of being guilty by association. He wasn't worried about status. He wanted to reach people. He came for relationship. He didn't come for behavior modification. He came for heart transformation. Because you need to know, Citygate, the gospel is not about bad people becoming good. It's about dead people coming alive in Christ. Yet Jesus constantly finds himself being ridiculed and criticized because people just don't understand why he came. So finally, in Luke chapter 15, we see that Jesus, in front of this crowd, kind of gives a defense for his ministry. Jesus begins to share his why. And Citygate, I think it's important for us to really lean in and pay attention to Jesus's why, because our why as a church needs to match up with the why of Jesus. So I would ask, Citygate, why were there so many people here early this morning setting things up, sanitizing, making sure that everything was ready for the services? Why? Pastor talks about the love that you guys have for the homeless community in Fort Myers, that you would allow them to come in, you would allow them to take a shower, you would give them a, a hot meal, you would wash their clothes. Why do you do that? Why, why, why are you sending buses out in areas bringing children in that you could be able to preach the gospel to them, encourage them, let them know there's another way they could live life? Why, 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 why do you do that? Our why should always match Jesus's why. So this is what Jesus responds with in Luke 15. I love it. He responds with three simple stories. The first story Jesus tells is about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. He says, one of these sheep runs away. The shepherd, he says, leaves the 99 sheep and goes after the one. You see, Jesus is trying to convey the heart of God the Father, which is always obsessed with that which is lost. And anytime Jesus tells a parable, we need to take a step back and say, who am I in this parable? And in this parable, we are the sheep. 
And I wish I could say that's a good thing, but it's not. Because think about this. If you study sheep at all, for any length of time, you'll discover a few things. Number one, sheep are practically blind. They can't hardly see a thing. But not only are they blind, but they are stubborn to no end. I'm sure that doesn't apply to any of you. But they're stubborn to no end. Let, let me give you an example of how stubborn a sheep can be. It is proven that if a sheep is left out in the pasture with no shepherd, it will not only eat every bit of the grass that's out there, bare, gone, then it will proceed to eat one another's excrement until they die. It's gross, but that's how stubborn and stupid sheep can be. And Jesus in this parable is going, you know who y'all are like? Y'all are like sheep. Well, thank you for your ministry, Jesus. But how true is that? Because that is just like me. Like if, if I am left to myself with no shepherd to guide me, I will indulge my flesh until it kills me from the inside out. Sin will eat at us and we will just continue to go after the things that we desire and the things that we want. And that's why we need a shepherd. That's why in the book of John, Jesus says he is the good shepherd. Jesus goes on in this parable saying that the, the sh shepherd leaves the 99 in pursuit of the one who ran away, obviously giving this amazing illustration of this relentless and wild love of God and the fact that, that this God would, this shepherd representing God would actually come for us when we made the choice to run away. And then Jesus says that the shepherd finds the lost sheep, comes home, calls all his neighbors and friends, and they basically throw a block party. Why do they celebrate? Because that which was lost is now found. And just because the sheep was lost doesn't mean the sheep lost any of its value. Think about that for a moment. I think that's why he told the second story. In the second parable, he says, it's like a woman who has 10 gold coins and she loses one of the coins. And when she loses one of the coins, she turns the house upside down in pursuit of finding that one lost coin. Why is she searching for the one lost coin? Because even though the coin is lost, it still has great value. Jesus is using an illustration that he knows is gonna tug not only at that crowd's heartstrings, but it would tug at our heartstrings today. And it's the fact that if you lost your money, you would do everything you could to find it. You would turn your house upside down. And yet in this parable, it's funny. Jesus isn't talking about finances. He's talking about people. And he's challenging us. He's trying to convict us. He's trying to tell us we ought to have the same pursuit and the same heart we ought to turn Fort Myers upside down to find the lost. That if we, would, if we would be willing to turn our house upside down for some money, 
Why would we not be willing to turn this town upside down for the lost? If you've ever wondered just how much you are worth to God, you're worth Jesus. Because God sent his son down from heaven to die a criminal's death on a cross for you and me. What's really amazing, he would have done it if you were the only human here on earth that needed it. When you finally wrap your mind around that, it's going to change your life. When I finally wrap my mind around the fact that Jesus loved me so much that he would have done that for me and me alone, what? So this woman flips her house upside down. She finds the one lost coin. And what does she do? She calls all her friends and she throws a party because that which was lost is now found. But I got to thinking about that, that particular parable. And I got thinking about the fact that what good is it to be valuable yet unused? Because that coin was still valuable even when it was under the couch, but it wasn't being used. And I thought, how many people are in the church today that are tremendously valuable, but they're just refusing to be used? They're just sitting idle. They just come in, sit down. They just want to get fed for an hour, skate home, first one to hit the door so that nobody connects with them. Stiff arming like they're a Heisman Trophy winner trying to get to their car. City Gay Jesus didn't come to establish religion. He came to establish relationship with broken people. And I think that's why he told this third and final parable. He said, I want to tell you a story about a lost son. Jesus says, there was a young son who came to his father and said, I want my inheritance right now. And now many of you know that the way an inheritance usually works is that the longer you wait, the more it grows. But I really believe that Jesus is trying to give us a picture of what sin looks like. And that sin always goes for immediate gratification over eternal satisfaction. Sin is never patient. I think at some point in our lives, everybody in this room, including myself, has dealt with sin, still deal with sin. And it's never patient. Whatever the flesh wants, it becomes a pursuit. Sometimes it's an obsession. And in this story, the father who is full of grace, full of mercy, gives the son what he asks. How many know sometimes in our life, City Gate, the worst thing that we can get is exactly what we want and what we ask for. But this father who's full of grace, full of mercy, gives the son what he asks. And we know that the son goes on to a distant land, squanders every bit of the inheritance, on wild living, up until the point he is in such a position that he is working for a pig farmer. He's in this nasty, sloppy pig pen, and he is so hungry that he starts looking at the pig slop going, that looks pretty good. 
I think I want to get some of that. He's in a bad place. And Citygate, I think what we can learn from that is that sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It's going to keep you there longer than you want to stay, and it's going to cost you way more than you want to pay. And it was in this moment, in this bit of scripture, that says, the son came to his senses. And I'm sure pastor could probably preach an entire message series on the son coming to his senses. But it says he came to his senses. He's thinking, man, I ought to go back to my father because the servants in my father's house live better than this. And then he starts this long journey home. I've always imagined when I read that, that he's got quite a long walk and as he's walking, he's probably rehearsing whatever repentive apology speech that he's about to give his father. I would imagine he's probably like, oh, if I could just tell him, father, I'm so sorry that I asked for the inheritance. I really didn't want you to die. I know that that's what it meant, but I promise that wasn't my heart. I'm so sorry and I messed up. If I could just be a servant, because there's no way that dad's gonna take me back. There's no way I'm gonna still be entitled to anything. There's no way that whatever my plan and my purpose that my father had for me, there's no way it's still mine. I blew that opportunity. So I better practice a really good speech. Maybe I can coerce him to let me be a servant. And yet something amazing happens in scripture. All of a sudden he gets to the end of, I imagine this long drive and it says in the Bible, this is amazing. It says, the father sees him from a distance. That means the father was looking for him. Man, I don't know who I'm speaking to today, but this is good news. And how do I know that? Because that was me. I remember, I, just because I was raised in church, and you heard that from pastor, I was raised in this church, did not shield me from making some really, really bad decisions. Man, from about 18 to 25, I couldn't make a good decision in my life if it slapped me in the face. But something amazing happened. God's grace, a life-giving church, a mother and a grandmother that wasn't afraid to pray, a pastor that wasn't afraid to be able to show Christ's love in the flesh. He loved me when I wasn't lovable. I got to see the love of the Father through a man. The Father sees him from a distance. And can I tell you, City Gate, his love, the Father's love for me has always outweighed my faith in him. It's never even been a comparison. And I learned something very important that you cannot disqualify yourself from your calling, your purpose, and your plan. So I believe there's somebody that maybe you're in this room or maybe you're at home watching online and you feel like, no, pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. You don't know me. You don't know what I've done. I've done too much. The Father ain't never gonna take me back. 
whatever plan and purpose that was great, he's given up on that because he sees me. He knows me. And I would tell you that is a lie from the enemy. You can't disqualify yourself from his love. You can't do it. So then there's this beautiful image that the father and the son embrace. And the son is trying to get out this rehearsed speech that I believe he was practicing the whole way there. Oh, father, I'm so sad. And the father won't even let him get words out. He's just grabbing him. He's just showering him with love. He's embracing him. He's kissing him. Not only is he not angry with him, he's actually saying, servants, hey, get over here. You gotta get a robe on his back. You gotta get sandals on his feet. Get a ring on his finger. This is my son. He was lost. I thought he was dead, but now he's back. He's alive. What was lost is now found. Citygate, are you catching a trend in these stories? God loves some parties. And it's because his parties always have a purpose. Jesus died for you. And he would have done it all the same if it was just you on this planet. What an amazing thing to wrap your mind around. The love of a father so amazing. I don't know who you are, but you have a plan. You have a purpose. It was from the time God was molding you in your mother's womb. And no matter what you've done from then to now, it hasn't changed. Forgiveness is available. Repentance is a turn. It's a turn from the old way and a turn to the Father. And our Father, when you turn to Him, He runs at you. Man, can we pray? Man, with every eye closed and head bowed, man, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for this church. I'm going to give those an opportunity, man, to just get right with the Lord. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for this church. Lord, this is a church that is influencing an entire region and a city. God, I thank you for their sacrifice. God, I thank you for their leadership. But most of all, Lord, I thank you for their heart to seek those who are lost so that they may be found. And I would ask, with every eye still closed, Man, maybe that's you that's out there that's saying, man, pastor, that spoke right to me. Man, I'm that lost person. I've been trying to do this life by myself for far too long. I need a shepherd in my life. If that's you, would you be bold enough right now? Would you just shoot your hand up? Nobody's looking around. This is just a moment between you, me, and God. You'll have an opportunity to go public with it. The next baptism service. Man, I see those hands. That is amazing. Up, up in the top, down in the bottom. I'm sure there's people at home watching online, same thing. Man, that is amazing. Greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. Greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. I encourage you, make sure you connect 
with a Connect team member before you leave this building. But I'm gonna pray right now. I'm gonna, and the first part of this prayer is gonna be for you. So I want you, you can go ahead and recite exactly what I say. You can make it your own. That doesn't matter. What matters is when you say it, you mean what you say. And then I'm just gonna pray over the rest of you and the rest of this week. I'm believing that you're gonna be a blessing to so many people this week. They won't even know what hit them. Let's pray, Jesus, Lord, I am sorry that I've tried to do this life on my own for far too long. Today, Lord, I give my life to you, all of it. I'm going all in. Lord, I know you were exactly who you said you were. You are the son of God. And you went to the cross and you died a criminal's death for me and my sins so I could have what you deserve. But it didn't stop there. No, Lord, you continued and you went on three days later, you rose from the grave, proving you were exactly who you said you were. You ascended to the right hand of the Father and you are there right now interceding for every one of us in prayer. So today, I give my life to you completely. Use me to further the kingdom in Fort Myers and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Can we just celebrate those that gave their life to Jesus this morning? So now David and the worship team, they're gonna lead us. Would you stand with me? They're gonna lead us in one more worship song. And here's what I want from you, City Gate. I want you to worship Jesus with everything you have. I don't know what your week looked like, but I know what your week's gonna look like. And I want you to give God everything right in this moment. All right? We love you.
There's no wall you 